thankful that Jesus is the rock of your life, the rock of your salvation. Praise God. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. We're grateful today to have each and every one of you. If this is your first time as our guest at Victory, welcome. We realize that there are a lot of great churches in the West Memphis Marion area, and we're thrilled that you have taken this time to come and worship with us this morning. Um, we've been in the middle of a series uh, out of Nehemiah. Last Sunday, we obviously took a little, pardon me, a little detour from it and preached about probably the most critical fact in Christianity, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How many are thankful that he's alive this morning the tomb is empty? Um, I, I failed a couple of Sundays back to celebrate with you our amazing team and all of the efforts uh, by the folks on our serve team and especially under the leadership of Darren Johnson who did a phenomenal job cooking for our first responders barbecue. Um, I think the barbecue gets better every year. The, um, the, the, the crowd was better, bigger this year. Last year when we did it, it was like raining cats and dogs outside and a bunch of folks ran in and picked up carry-out plates but our crowd inside was low, but this year it was remarkable, beautiful weather. Um, also just want to say that we, um, we, we crossed a milestone last Sunday as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I've been praying for a long time to break 500, and we, we didn't just break 500, we came close to breaking 600 last Sunday, so put your hands together and give the Lord praise. We've baptized eight this month so far. We're receiving 21 new members in today, 10 in the first service, 11 in this service so we're grateful today to celebrate all that the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and our midst today. How many are thankful for that? Somebody say amen. All right. If, uh, if it's your first time this morning and you're wondering why we have all these yard rocks out up here, uh, we've been attempting to try and give a little representation of the city of Jerusalem and the rubble is how the Bible describes it in the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a memoir. It's listed in the historical books after the 70-year captivity in Babylon, and then 90 years had transpired from that point. And Nehemiah, a young man whose name means the comfort of Yahweh, uh, is busy at his job as the cupbearer for a Persian king. And he gets news from his brother Hanani how horrible the conditions are in the city of Jerusalem. And his heart is grieved, and he prays not just a quick uh, prayer, but he gets under a burden that lasts for weeks, that turns into months, and he's praying and fasting. And the, the chapters that unfold after that are the amazing story of how God provides the opportunity for the king's favorite cupbearer to be given the authority and the financing and the resources and the responsibility to go back to the city of Jerusalem and to carry a vision with him in his heart to see God restore peace and protection and security to the walls of the city of Jerusalem. All these stones that we have neatly stacked now, when we began, were actually in disarray and just kind of in a random rubble all around the edge of the platform. And week by week, we've seen progress take place and the walls, uh, these many walls here, be completed. Um, when we wrapped up chapter 6, back two Sundays ago. Last Sunday we were obviously dealing with the hope of resurrection or the hope of the hope revolution, which is the hope of our resurrection. Jesus Christ has already been raised from the dead, but our future hope is that we will be raised into immortality, newness of life. 
And uh, so we, we took a little bit of a, a, a redirection from that. We had actually talked about the close of chapter 6 where they said that it took 52 days to complete the wall after they'd begun the work. And we emphasized the importance of just getting started. Sometimes the most critical point, the, the, the most important step you ever take is the first one to begin to break a bad habit or to establish a good one or build a stronger marriage or get your finances in order or, or really begin to, 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 to live out a relationship, a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Really begin to know what it means to follow Jesus, not just to, to say a few words and know that you have a home in heaven, but begin to really walk with Jesus on a daily basis and, and know what it means to have the kingdom of God working and moving and active in your heart and your life. And so this morning, as we, we look at this, we pick back up and we, we're reminded that 52 days later, they finished what they started. And along the way, anytime you start something, there's always going to be a voice or voices, plural, of opposition that will attempt to come against you. Sometimes, many times, the enemy of our souls, Satan, the adversary, the devil, diabolos is the Greek word, the diabolical one, uh, who attempts to distract us. And so this morning, if we are able to pick back up without trying to do a whole lot of review, the title of the, of the series is called Arise and Build, and the message title this morning is Three Critical Principles for Your Next Step. Now, maybe you are always wondering why I gravitate toward your left side. It's because I can't see through that drum cage on my left, on your right. And so I'm always pointing in this direction. I'm so excited that in a few months we'll be in a new building where that won't be an obstruction and we'll have... We'll have a great big huge screen above my head and above whoever's speaking that everybody will be able to see one great big central screen. And so we're excited about that. Um, three critical principles for your next step. Maybe you're involved in a process right now. You're fighting it out. You're battling through some things. You're seeing some progress in your life in terms of the kingdom of God advancing. Um, I've been praying about doing a series in the future just on the kingdom without chasing any rabbits about eschatology, which is a kind of a $100 theological term for last things or the, the end times. I'm not going down that trail. But just to very simply tell you, the kingdom of God is wherever the lordship of Christ is. If, the kingdom of, if Jesus is Lord in your heart, then the kingdom of God's in your heart. Okay, if, the, if, if Jesus is Lord in your marriage, then the kingdom of God is moving and working and, and active and alive in your marriage. And the kingdom of God is always about bringing order out of disorder, bringing light into darkness, bringing freedom where there was bondage, bringing health where there was sickness. Come on, breaking the curse and setting you free from the curse of the law of sin and death. Right, anybody hear what I'm saying this morning? So, so when you start to make advances where you trust God for the promises of God that the Word of God tells us, uh, then you're actually on the front line of advancing the kingdom of God, advancing the lordship of Jesus. I taught both of my children, the kingdom of God is in your bedroom. Go take dominion. Clean it up. <laughs> Hang up your clothes. In Jesus' name, light be. Darkness disappear. Order come out of chaos. That's what the kingdom of God is about. God is not the author of confusion. If there's confusion in what you're dealing with, it's not a God thing. Deal with it and speak to it. And so this morning, uh, as we look, we want to talk about three critical principles for your next step. Sometimes we get hung, we get, we get caught up, and we feel like we've kind of hit a wall in our progress, in our growth, in our spiritual journey. You feel like your prayers don't get above your nose. You feel like the heavens are brass, is the way the Bible describes it in one particular scriptural location. 
And so you're just like banging against a wall. You're looking for your next steps and you're not hearing anything. And I just want to tell you that if, if you're not hearing what your next step is, check yourself and make sure you obeyed the last couple God gave you. Because if you hadn't obeyed the last two he told you, he's not going to give you the next two. Come on, somebody. And, and we, need to, we need to look to listen because this is, this is the one thing I want to deliver to you, like a chorus in a song that we repeat. This morning, this is the one thing we're going to say and weave throughout this message. Read it with me. Lots of voices compete for your attention. Listen to the voice and know who you are. Now, everybody say, the voice. Uh, listen to the voice. Who is the voice? We're talking about the Father. We're talking about Jesus the Son. We're talking about God the Holy Spirit. Uh, Trinity, three in one. God, one God, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in John 14, all come and take up their abode through the agency or the person of the Holy Spirit. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all living on the inside of us. Now, that's world changing if you really think about it and if you begin to live out of the realization of that. Okay? Uh, say it with me one more time. Let's read it. Lots of voices compete for your attention. Listen to the voice and know who you are. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14 that there are multitudes of voices and none of them are without significance. We are bombarded on a daily basis with every kind of social media. I don't know how many you have signed up for. Uh, I've done Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And, I, and when I got the last, I said, that's it. I, I'm not doing Snapchat. I know cool pastors do Snapchat, but I'm just, I'm not doing that. And all of these others, there are 50 others. There's probably that many. And I mean, who has time to check all that stuff every day? And, um, you know, you've got cable news and you've got media, you've got celebrities, you've got culture, you've got your peers. All of these are voices that are screaming at you, whatever your political identification is. And, you know, we'll frisk you of all of that at the door because we don't care. This is not one of those churches that if you're a Christian, you have to vote a certain way. Because, I mean, how many of you know Jesus loves everybody? <laughs> Come on, somebody. Um, I've been in those places, you know, when you've got to go this way, you've got to go that way. And how many of you know he's Lord over all of that? Come on, somebody. Um, anyway, I won't chase that rabbit. So uh, lots of voices, political voices, entertainment voices, celebrity voices, cultural voices, spiritual voices, Christian television, preachers, all kinds of ideas. All these voices are screaming at us, trying to get our attention. And we have the voice of an enemy in the middle of sometimes all of this, in this cacophony. It's like, it's like a, a flock of thousands of geese are flying over and just honking at us trying to get our attention. Lots of voices compete for our attention. Listen to the voice and know who you are. Let's jump in number one, first point this morning. We have to handle the enemy. And I use that term very specifically. We're talking about deal with. Take it as a point of action. Get it into your hand and deal with it. You don't just push it off to the side. We have a very real enemy. We remember that when Nehemiah began the process as soon as he was there and shared his vision with the nobles of Jerusalem and they all with 110% approval jumped up and said, we will arise and build. As a matter of fact, I need to get that text. I have, have we done that yet? Haven't done it. Okay, let's get it real quick. Say seated, read with me please. Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will what? We will what? Arise and build. So they knew that God was in this. It was a God vision. And they knew that if they would put their hand to it and begin to take action, that God would make them prosper 
and that they would arise and build. By the grace, by the help, by the strength of God, they would begin to arise and build and they would see security return to the city of Jerusalem. God had raised up Zerubbabel who had begun the process of rebuilding the temple. He brought in a man 12 years earlier by the name of Ezra. Ezra had restored right worship and the place of honoring God in the center and the heart of the culture. The people of Jerusalem began to get things right in the temple, which is the, the process that God uses first. He'll begin to build your spirit. He'll give you life in the very heart of your being first before he starts working on all the peripheral stuff. Come on, somebody. You've got to have a changed heart before you can have a changed mind. You've got to have a changed heart and a changed mind before you can have changed habits. See, religion has sort of, re we, we've, we've dressed this thing up backwards and kind of put the cart before the horse, had the tail wagging the dog, so to speak. And we've got folks all over the Bible Belt believing that if they come to church, the walls will cave in and the roof will drop uh, because their lives are in a mess. They're in disarray. They're, they're in complete confusion and chaos. And the kingdom of God takes you right where you are in the middle of all of your junk and all of your mess. And he says... I overwhelmingly love you. There's not anything you can do to make me love you any more than I love you, says the Father. There's not anything that you can do that would make you make me love you any less than I already love you, the Father says. And so when you begin to realize that and you have an atmosphere that's real, we're not playing the religious church games. We're not playing the pharisaical Look down your nose holier than thou at somebody else in a place of judgment. So many of those kinds of situations in the Bible Belt, in, in the Mid-South, in Marion and West Memphis and Crittenden County, where you have that kind of an environment, they, they think they're doing right by holding up a high standard, but what they really don't realize is that they create a culture of secrecy. Because folks won't really drag their problems out into the light because they're, they're thinking, my goodness, if anybody in this room knew what I'm really wrestling with, they would kick me out that door. And they know it because they've seen it happen. It's, they've seen rejection. They've seen, they've seen the, the army of God shoot its own wounded. God forbid when that kind of nonsense happens. We, we are, 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 if you're looking for a perfect church, you're in the wrong spot, let me tell you. And when you do find it and you join it, it won't be perfect anymore because you're not perfect. <laughs> we, we acknowledge around here that there, everybody is broken. We all need Jesus. Apart from Him, we are nothing. And, and some folks sometimes misunderstand that. They think that, the, that we are just sort of winking at sin and that we're just kind of creating an environment of where sin is, has a whole complete permissive spirit about it. And that's not the case at all. We're just creating a place where you can actually get real and honest and go, this is, hey, hello, I'm, my name is Michael. I'm a whatever it is, fill in the blank. <laughs> and bring it out and deal with it. And guess what? We won't, we won't crucify you. We won't shoot you. We won't beat you up. Uh, but we'll come alongside you and go, guess what? Jesus died on the cross, so you don't have to live in bondage to that, not one step longer. And we're going to walk with you, and we're going to see the Lord bring deliverance into your life. How many of you know that's what the gospel is all about? Somebody say amen. All right, so we're going to arise and build. Now, uh, first point this morning is handle the enemy. We have to handle the enemy, and I want to go ahead and jump into uh, Nehemiah chapter 6. And let's go back and get just a little bit. There'll be a little bit of review here. And you will remember two weeks ago that Sanballat, who is the governor of Samaria, has been threatening Nehemiah because Sanballat basically is in competition. He wants to keep the walls down 
and the protection out of the city of Jerusalem because he has a greater degree of influence and control over the whole area, Samaria and Judah. You will remember that Samaria is what the Jewish people in Judah and Jerusalem called compromised Jews. It was the northern ten tribes that went into captivity much sooner, a couple hundred years ahead of the Babylonian captivity by the Assyrians. They never had a revival. They never had a good king in their history. The south had good and bad kings. The two tribes of Judah and Benjamin down to the south around Jerusalem, there would be a good king arise and they'd have revival and they'd cry out to God and God would prosper them and they would have great seasons of blessing and outpouring of God's goodness and favor and prosperity. And in their prosperity, they would forget God and they would just erect all these altars again to the foreign gods of Baal and Ashtoreth and Molech. And they would go into all the pagan practices of the surrounding nations again. And then the judgment of God would come and then a bad king would arise and judgment here comes and then they'd go the cycle over and over and over and over. How many of you know God wants you to break out of that cycle? Whatever you're struggling with in your life. And so the, 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 the history that is about all of this has to do with, with human intrigue and competition and politics and all this kind of junk that's going on. And so Sanballat sins four times. Come on out here to the plain of Ono. I want to talk to you. And Nehemiah responds every time for four times. He sends back the same reply every time. I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. Say that with me. I am doing a good work and I cannot come down. The enemy wants to distract you. There are lots of voices that are competing for your attention. Listen to the voice and know who you are. The enemy wants to distract you. And so let's read. The fifth time Sanballat's servant came with, everybody say an open letter with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There's a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem, he's an Arab who is Sanballat's compatriot, he's, and Geshem tells me it is true that you and the Jews are planning to, everybody say rebel, to rebel, and that's why you're building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. Let's read on. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there's a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king. So I suggest, everybody say devil talk. I suggest that you come and talk, to, talk it over with me. Now an open letter has been sent. Let's, let's read on here. I want you to see how he responds. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making up the whole thing. Verse 9. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work, so I continued the work with even greater determination. Stop right there and leave that screen up for me. They'd sent out an open letter. Let me tell you what an open letter is like in this culture, in this day and time. Uh, an open letter, you know, an open letter is not one where you have a grievance with the head of a company and you write a letter and you mail it privately to the head of the company. An open letter is one that gets published and everybody gets to read it because you want to stir up some drama. You know what an open letter is for? An open letter is just trying to cause trouble. It's in, in the name of standing up for the right. And I know there are times when it, it, it is a necessary process to go through to alert people to corruption or evil or something that is going on at a political or a governmental level or whatever, or a church level, whatever. Uh, but most of the time, open letters are just folks that like drama and like attention, just trying to get some attention. Don't shout me down. I know I'm telling the truth right now. Let me tell you how this works in our culture. You, 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 you're on a plane, and the plane is overbooked. 
and the, 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 the crew decides that they need to pick a passenger at random and get you off that plane uh, because, you know, after all, the, the crew's got to fly on the plane so that we can take care of everybody's needs. And so they go drag a little Asian doctor off and everybody with their little cell phones, their Apples and their Androids start recording it and it goes out there in an open letter to the whole world to see. <laughs> Don't raise your hand, but how many of you are not going to fly United for a while? <laughs> My son, Drew, Drew was home for, for Easter, and he got, we got so tickled because we were, we were standing around the kitchen just and, and snacking and eating and hanging out and laughing. He said, i got to show you Southwest Airlines' response to this the next day. They put out an ad in response to what United did, and Drew said, I guarantee you this guy has, this marketing guy has just said, boys, go home for the weekend. I got this covered. <laughs> And he said, I guarantee you he's just, he has just solidified his quarter of a million dollar Christmas bonus this year because he sent it to the CEO and the CEO is crying tears. He said, go ahead and put that out there. It showed the Southwest Airlines plane wings and the line underneath it says, we beat our com competition, not you. <laughs> Y'all didn't laugh hard enough because that's funny. <laughs> You, you, you talking about striking at an opportunistic moment. <laughs> I, think, I think United stock plummeted like $1.7 billion over the next couple of days. And man, they have backed this thing way back up on how they're going to rectify the problem and fix their system and all this kind of stuff. And you know how it happens. You, you're on Facebook and you're on Twitter and you're on Instagram. You're on the different things. And you see somebody get on there and do a rant. And it's not just about the politics. It's not just about the one we got rid of or the one that's in there right now. And how many of you know neither one of them can save us? Let's come on, somebody. And the sooner people wake up and realize that and, and figure out that when the one you are so proud of and vote for does pull some stuff and, and is an idiot, then you don't have to defend them out of some kind of an ideological piece of warfare. Because uh, I'm not going to chase that rabbit. i got to stop. This is, this is the deal. This is what happens when this... This, this open letter kind of an approach trying to distract because what they're trying to do, they were just trying to what? Say the word that's emboldened. Everybody say intimidate. Come on, go back to your 11th grade English class. No, let's go back further than that. Let's go 7th grade. What's the root in intimidate, the root word? Everybody say timid. What does timid mean? Timid means shy and kind of withdrawn, kind of a wallflower, not... With any kind of, and, and you know, let me just tell you, Bible Belt Christianity paints this false humility idea of, 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 a, of a real believer who walks with Jesus as some kind of real timid kind of, well, there just isn't. He's so humble. Isn't she so sweet? Don't have the ability to pray the wings up off a nap, but they're sweet. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you, that false, that's cartooning. It's, it's parading as humility, but it's false humility. Let me tell you what the greatest thing you can do is you can listen to the voice and know who you are. Now, the most humble thing you can do is to say, apart from Christ, I am nothing. And know it and mean it. But then also in the next breath go, you know what? I'm not apart from Him anymore. I have Him on the inside of me. I'm a king's kid. The Bible never describes a spirit-filled, blood-bought believer as anything timid. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 28 says the righteous are bold as a lion. Look at your neighbor and go, rawr. Ooh, I like that one. 
<laughs> Remind me of those Mercury commercials when they used to sell a car called Cougar. That's the sound I heard that and kind of took me back in my memory. <laughs> the righteous are what? Everybody say bold. Come on, say bold. And where do we get this idea that we will get God's attention if we kind of mealy mouse sneak up on the backside of the throne and pray for something? Oh, Lord, I'm just, just so unworthy and just no good. And God, I just really hope and pray. And how many of you go, get up out of that. Quit acting like that. You're my son. You're my daughter. What does the Bible say? Let us come boldly before the throne of grace whereby we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, you can take any of this and push it to the other extreme. You can let that become arrogance. You know, God has a way, though. He can work some humility into all of us. He has His ways. But I just want you to get this idea. The enemy always tries to intimidate. He wants to make you timid. He wants to make you reticent, make you withdrawn, make you hold back, make you second-guess yourself. And, and imagining that they could what? If I can intimidate you, then I can what? Get the next word in bold. He can discourage us. Core is the French word for heart. And when I invest in a brother and I tell them that who they are in Christ, I am encouraging, I'm putting heart on the inside of them. And when the enemy withdraws that, when he pulls that out, when he subtracts that, when he divides and conquers, he discourages, he takes heart out. He tries to intimidate you and discourage you because if he can discourage you, what will he do? Read the next line. He'll stop the work. I'll quit. And if you quit, he's already won. Look at this. So I continued the work with even what? Greater determined. Thank God for Nehemiah's. His name means the comfort of Yahweh. There are moments that you just have to know that you can't quit. And you have to grit your teeth and go, God, I desperately need your help. I had a moment like that this week. Wednesday was the sixth month. <sighs> I gotta breathe. Wednesday was month six since my sweet baby took her life. <laughs> and I just fell over the kitchen counter and I wept so hard that my guts hurt. And I was angry and I was hurt. And I was weeping and I, I called Pastor Jeremy and I said, I'm so angry and I'm hurt at the same. I just want to go get drunk and I want to break something and I want to cuss a blue streak. And I know some of you are on the edge of being offended that your pastor just said that. I mean, you know, we have to be real. And in that moment, I realized that any of those choices wouldn't ultimately make me feel any better. And it just those of you that are, that are upset a little bit that I even said that in church, I just want you to know that I didn't have to clean up anything broken. I didn't break anything. I never, I never cracked the, the tab on a beer, although it wouldn't hurt me if I had, but I didn't. And I didn't have to delete any expletives, but I sure felt like letting loose a whole string of them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know... Everybody feels pretty good in here right now and you're encouraged and you're, man, you're feeling good and already you, you just kind of feel the faith level rising and you're going, where's my water gun? I'm going to go take on hell. <laughs> How many know about Thursday afternoon you don't feel like that? How many know a few circumstances line themselves up and you feel like what I was talking about Wednesday this week when I was laid across the counter in my kitchen going, God, if you don't help me, I can't make it. 
I can't do this. I don't understand. And the enemy, my soul, has an incredible ability with little voices that ask, say things like, if you had had enough faith, this wouldn't have happened to your family. Thank you for your nose, but that, that, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm telling you where I was. I'm telling you where I am and where I have to battle myself in dealing with my own junk. And going, God, you've got to help me and give me some strength to face this. God, to get up because there are just days I just want to pull the covers up over my head and go just. I've deleted what I just thought. Thank God. Is that too real for you this morning? The enemy wants to intimidate us. He wants to discourage, take heart out. Because if he can do that, he can stop the work. He can stop the work of God in your life. And quit thinking about, oh man, the, the, the goal is to be able to do something like Pastor Michael does. No, I'm just the coach. You guys are the football team. The serious stuff takes place out there all week long. We're just having a little holy huddle here for a few minutes. You guys are the real players. You guys are the Nehemiahs. I'm the Ezra that God has raised up that says, let's get our hearts right. Let's put God in the center. Let's, let's restore right worship. And you, you are the Nehemiahs that God's giving ideas to to carry out into the community to change this mess that we deal with. Read on. Are you getting anything out of this? Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Deliah, grandson of Mehetabel, and he was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the doors shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I will not do it. I won't do it, he said. He says, I realize. Everybody say, I realized. Now, I want you to know this. You down in your knower can know that you know you know something, even though you can't prove it. You can know something doesn't feel right. With news somebody brings you. Or a word somebody tells you, I've been praying for you and I have a word from the Lord. And you just go, thank you very much. And you go home and you go, I'm shaking the dust off my feet from that. That's not God. You realize. He realized God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. How many of the devil has hired minions, demons, that will come and try to do everything they can to plant a seed or a thought or a question? Something that will intimidate you and discourage you and stop the work. Are you hearing this this morning? You need to realize that Satan has devices. The Bible talks about in the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the apostle Paul writes, says we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. The Greek word is schemes, it's plans. And I'll tell you, he doesn't have any new ones. We live in a culture that changes all the time with all kinds of new technology, but Satan still uses the same stuff and every generation still falls for it over and over and over and over. Read on, let's finish this section. They were hoping to intimidate me and what? Make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and discredit me. Last verse, let's get this section here. Remember, O oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done, and remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. Now, what are Satan's schemes? He tempts. Once he's tempted you, he deceives you and says, you know, you need this. It's nobody's business. You know, you need some stress relief. And then he deceives you and thinks you've got this. Other people are too weak, but you're strong enough. You can handle it. And then once he's got you deceived, then he accuses you and he breaks your life open in front of everybody because he's the tempter, he's the deceiver of nations, he's the accuser of the brethren. That's how he works. 
But I want you to know this morning that there's some things as a believer that you have that are more powerful tools than he has. Number one, the most important one is the name of Jesus. Everybody say the name of Jesus. name of Jesus in the mouth of a believer who has a living relationship with Jesus living on the inside of you will move heaven and earth. It will shake mountains. The name of Jesus, Bible, Jesus says, whatever things you ask in my name, it shall be done for you. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are saved. Every name, his name is above every name. Ephesians 1.23 says, Philippians chapter 2, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess to the glory of God the Father that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is the name. Everybody say Jesus. So this name is powerful. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's not a magical word. It's not something that you can just speak an incantation and make things happen. It only it only operates in the lives of people who know Him, who have Jesus living in their hearts. Come on, somebody say amen. There's a story I won't take time to break open and tell, but Acts chapter 7 talks about the seven sons of Sceva who tried to cast out devils the way uh, they were doing in terms of the disciples. And the Bible says that those, those boys got the devil beat out of them because they said, you know, Peter I know and Paul I'm getting to know, but who are you? It's what the devil responded back to. And you can't just use the name of Jesus like a lucky coin or a rabbit's foot or a magic word. You speak that name because you have that name of that one living on the inside of you. And when you say, in the name of Jesus, you're coming with the power and the authority that is in the name of Jesus. Somebody say amen. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. (laughs) Ephesians 6 talks about the shield of faith. That's your belief in God's goodness. As Dr. Charles Stanley said that faith is the conviction that God will do what He said He would do, that God is a God of integrity. And so your faith in God is a shield to quench all the fiery darts of the evil one. Prayer, praying in the Holy Spirit, praise, praise and worship. What we do here on the front of our services is not just the preliminaries to get through to the preaching. Praise prepares an atmosphere. Praise invites the presence of God. The Bible says that the Lord dwells in the praises of His people. Literally, the Hebrew word means he comes and joins himself. He identifies with and sits down in the midst of praise. Guess what happens when God comes in a place in his manifest presence? The enemy can't continue to operate in that place. He's got to go because he can't stand that brightness, that light, that, that presence of God. Know that praise is important in your mouth. When you speak that and begin to give God praise and give him first place, The scripture says in Psalm 68, let God arise and his enemies will be scattered. How does God arise? He arises in the praises of his people. That's why we do this. That's why we sing songs and jump in the river and why we talk about him loving us so much that he's a hurricane and I'm a tree. Because we're trying to break through into your thinking and help you know that this God loves you and is desperately, desperately cares for you in indescribable terms. Come on, somebody. Satan's devices. Point number two. I want you. I want you to learn the language of the Spirit. Learn the language of the Spirit. I have one verse I want you to see. We're in, we're in Nehemiah chapter 7. The wall has been finished. 52 days have completed it. And Nehemiah, who was the cupbearer to the Persian king, becomes the builder of the walls of Jerusalem. Now he's about to switch again and become the governor of Judah. What you don't realize is the problem you're facing today may very well be preparing you for the job promotion you're going to get tomorrow. 
So how you act today in this set of circumstances, whether you're a problem causer or a problem solver, may be everything that indicates whether or not you're going to be capable to take the next step. Come on, somebody. Listen, lots of voices are making an attempt to compete for your attention. Listen to the voice and know who you are. Secondly, learn the language of the Spirit. Look at this in verse 5 of Nehemiah chapter 7. It says, So my God gave me the idea. Say that with me. God gave me the idea. Say it like you mean it. Come on. God gave me the idea. Stop right there. The King James says, God put it into my heart. Now, my whole principle, don't, don't take the scripture down, but the next principle that you can see in your notes right there, the one thing, is expect the Lord to show you. Too many times we just, you know, we, we, we basically, you know, muttered some words and we know that we're not going to hell and we know we've got a home in heaven, but we just almost live life as a Christian atheist. We live all week long as if the God we worship on Sunday morning is sort of disconnected from everything that we're doing all week long. We don't invite Him in to be Lord in the cubicle, to be Lord on the job site, to be Lord. And I know you can't necessarily gather everybody up on the job site and pray. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about just, just yourself expecting God to show you when you're in a conundrum, when you're confused, knowing God is not the author of that confusion. Expect God to show up and bring clarity to you. And so Nehemiah has been a cupbearer. He's been a builder. Now he's about to become the governor of Judah. And it says, God gave me the idea. God put it into my heart. God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and the leaders of the city along with the ordinary citizens for registration. Now, so he's basically going to say, let's just make sure that everybody's here really needs to be here because we're facing some enemies on the outside and some enemies on the inside. World War II, Hitler gave us what was called the fifth column. If you can't come against them from the north or the south or the east or the west, you invade them and then from the fifth column inside, you destroy them and they implode. And so we begin to see all of this kind of double spy work that was going on uh, between all the nations, the allied and the Axis powers. And the enemy attempts to do that sometimes. Let's just not think about, don't put a face with this because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. The person you're thinking of is not your enemy. It's the, pers- it's the spirit that's gotten into the fifth column inside that person that's motivating them to do what they're doing against you. It's, the, the, it's Satan, the spirit of this world that you're battling against. Somebody say amen. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But the problem is in the Bible about South, we've been so slammed with a hyper-fundamentalism and we've basically been told that all the stuff you read about in the Bible, most of that is not for today anymore. And, you know, it was, that was a glorious day. Wouldn't it have been great to have been alive back then and walk with the disciples? You know, people will say, you know, that's just, just for the disciples. The power and the presence of God is only for the disciples. Don't tell me that and then invite me to your discipleship class. Are you freaking kidding me? What's, that's asinine. Yeah, I said it. It's asinine. The word asinine means ass-like. That's just pure donkey spirit right there. That's all that is. That's stupid. That's stupid gone to seed. Oh, hey, by the way, the biggest thing about Christianity is that you get to know the book, but forget about half of it that's in there because it's not for today. Are you serious? Most of the time people don't see any kind of movement of the Spirit of God in their lives because they don't expect Him to. They don't have faith for him to. You know what? You didn't get saved until you had faith that he could save you. 
You know what? He's not going to guide you until you release faith and say, God, show up and guide me in my life. I expect you to show me what my next step is. Come on, somebody. I'm preaching way better than you're, you're helping me now. God gave me the idea. Well, I can already hear it's like ping pong machines going off in the heads in the room. Oh, but pastor, every idea that comes into my head is not God. Well, thank you very much, Captain Obvious. <laughs> Obviously, every idea that comes into your head is not God. That's why you have a copy of this thing right here. Because any idea that God puts into your head, in your heart, is not going to disagree with what He's already written down and put in this book right here. Come on, somebody. Am I preaching at the right church this morning? Are you guys awake? Come on, help me a little bit here. God put it into my heart. He gave me the idea. Listen, there are all kinds of ways that God communicates with people. It just wears me out when these hyper-cessationists tell you that God doesn't do any of that anymore. It's only for the disciples. And then they want to insist that you get involved in their discipleship class, which doesn't teach you anything but just some more intellectual principles. Some Greek and Hebrew words. The devil couldn't care less if you know or not. How many of you know he cares whether you know Jesus or not? Come on, somebody. The Bible says in the book of Joel, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your young men will dream dreams and your old men... Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And I always wonder why the young men saw the visions and the old men dreamed dreams. I think it's probably because I'm an old man now and I'm sleeping more and I'm dreaming more dreams. <laughs> and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Why aren't we expecting God to do amazing things in our lives and raise up champions for the next generation that can be true world culture changers? We don't expect the Lord to show up. I mean, let's face it, most church services that are going on right now on Sunday morning, they can go on and through the motions and do what they do and do it all without and apart from the Holy Spirit. God help us that that never happens in this place. Because I just shut it down and just slake me the country club, baby. Let me go get something good to eat. Let me hang out with some nice people. Are you hearing me? Why go through the motions if... If we all show up except the one that it's supposed to all be about. Come on, somebody. It's like the, it's like the, the African-American singer said one time, I wouldn't have a God I couldn't feel sometimes. And I'm going to tell you, it's not all about feeling. You can run from one end of the spectrum to the other, but I'm going to tell you, the whole side that's nothing but intellect, that's twice dead and plucked up by the roots. They need a dose of the Holy Ghost. You get over here where it's all about feeling, and it gets crazy, and they need to, they need to get some reason. They need to get some common sense. Now, forgive me, I, I, I'm not saying that, hey, here we are right in the middle. We're the perfect example because, no, we're not. But we're trying our best to let you know that it's not either or, but it's both. It's like, it's like Forrest Gump said. Mama said that we all had a destiny. But Lieutenant Dan said we were all just kind of floating around in life like, like little flowers on the wind. And you know, Jenny, I think it's both. You didn't know Forrest Gump was a theologian, did you? <laughs> I watched it last night and I'm sitting in my if you guys knew what I edited up here you would just you would just go Lord bless his, bless his heart Lord you know in the south that means it's bad when she says bless his heart <laughs> okay let me finish Are you, all right, I'm having a good time y'all get anything out of this 
God gave me the idea. God uses all kinds of things besides the written word. I'm so thankful for the written word. But let me tell you, I can't take a copy of it and lay it on a sick person and go, be well, brother. No, i got to have a relationship with the one this book is about to see him get into the broken areas of a person's life and be able to talk them through it and be able to give them faith and see them begin to arise in their own sense of God's goodness and love for them till they start trusting God for things they never trusted Him for. And all of a sudden you see transformation because that's what the gospel does. God uses scriptural confirmation. I preached a series years ago called Seven Guiding Lights. It's on the internet. It's free. We don't sell any of our stuff. One of them is scriptural confirmation. That's because the Bible has first place. The second one is an inward witness. God will give you an impression. He put it in my heart. He gave me an idea. And this is where you need other brothers and sisters that love you and love the Word and are grounded in the Word because you need to bounce it off of them so you don't do something kooky and crazy. Because every idea is not from God. Don't shout me down. It's the truth. But you can know that you know that you know that you know down in your knower and God will put some other people around you that will say, yes, I, my spirit bears witness. That's a Bible term. My spirit bears witness. My, my, my knower is saying yes to what you're saying. Prophetic confirmation. Godly counsel. In the multitude of counselors there is safety. The peace of God. Colossians 3.16 says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The Greek word for rule is umpire. What does an umpire do on a baseball field? He calls you safe or out after you run the play. But the beautiful thing about the Holy Ghost, if you let Him umpire your heart and your life and let you have a sense of peace, He will let you know this is safe before you take the first step to run the play. Go ahead and run, boy. I got you. We're going to get it. We got this game. Or He'll say, nope, 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 no, out. Just hang on a little bit. Wait a minute, wait a minute. And He holds you back because you don't have peace. You don't let the peace of God rule your heart. I don't care how good your idea is or how how much spiritual swag you think you want to put on. (laughs) Whatever you think you've got and all the goods you think how hot you are and all the stuff that you think you've got when there's no peace and you can't sleep, you better listen to the Spirit of God on the inside of you. Expect Him to show you. God help us. We miss out so many times when we don't have a spirit of hope and expectation that God will lead us and carry us. If I didn't have that right now, I would already be dead behind my sweet wife. And maybe that's too much. I'm telling you, if it weren't for the Lord, if it weren't for the Lord to carry me in the middle of this, I would be so intimidated and so discouraged and would so shut down the work and just stop the work. But like a little bit of Nehemiah in me, so I continued the work with greater determination. Come on, somebody. Last one and I'm finished. I hope you're getting something out of this. Here we go. Make sure. Now, don't read your name, but when, when, I, when we read this together, I want you to say your name. Not your name, but you say your individual name. Here we go. Make sure Michael Smith is in the book. Give me the next verse. Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 5. I had found the genealogical record. Everybody say the book. Found the genealogical record of those who had first returned to Judah. Let's quickly go ahead and get verse 64. Wow, that's a long chapter, Pastor. I'm sure glad you didn't feel led to read the whole chapter to us this morning, aren't you? (laughs) I remember being in a midweek prayer service at 10 a.m. It's in the summertime and some folks came by to get me to go to the church and Sister White 
sweet little lady, real prayer warrior, prayed for me all until she passed, had a real heart and love for me. I'm thankful to God for the prayers Sister Ora White prayed for me. I remember the one morning as she was getting on up in years, she was well past probably 85 and starting to get a little on the edge. And um, she said, I just feel led of the Lord to read this morning. And so we're just listening to a godly saint, great woman of God at this little Thursday morning prayer service at the church. I'm like 11 years old, something like that, you know. And um, summertime, I'm not in school. And so she opens up her Bible and she says, Psalm 119. Well, I'd already known enough about the Bible at 11 that I just kind of went, oh, God, help us. <laughs> Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses. And about 22 minutes later, we're all on the ground. You have to about peel us up off the ground as Sister White finished the last line of, all right, that's the free part. That went in my message. Verse 64. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm editing up here. Verse 64. What, read it with me. They what? They searched for their names in the genealogical records, and they what? They were not found. So they were what? Disqualified from serving as priests. This happens every Sunday in church pews across America. Folk on membership rolls who've mouthed a few words and truly don't know Jesus any more than the moon is made out of cheese. And I would just say to you as I close this morning, something that I, I don't think I've visited enough times over the years. Paul the Apostle wrote in the book of Corinthians, I believe it's the second epistle, he said, examine yourselves and see whether you be in the faith. In other words, are you really, you really a believer? Is your name in the book? Now, I'd love to unpack the history here because it's fascinating and I'm a history person. I love that kind of stuff, but time won't permit this morning. So I just want to fast forward to the spiritual application of this. The book of Revelation uses the phrase, the book of life, seven times. It calls it... <coughs> the book of life which belongs to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. It calls it the Lamb's book of the living. Seven times it says that. It's only one other time in all the Bible, and it appears in Paul's epistle to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 3, and he says, I want you to take into account and commend these fellow servants, and he lists their names, and he says, whose names are written in the book of life. This morning we're not here to talk about immigration laws or genealogy or whether you're a legal citizen or not. Um, because I don't want to take time to do all that history digging, but I just want to ask you this. If you name the name of Christ, is your name in the book of life? Because there are folks, everybody in the room has got a I've been hurt in church story. My goodness, if I'd quit when I got hurt in church, I'd have quit years ago. I'd have quit before I ever started victory. Because sheep bite Sometimes you can get an infection from their nasty teeth in their mouth. I've been hurt just like everybody else has. And you have to learn to forgive. You have to get up and go on. And if you're letting somebody else and their hypocrisy, they're living below the standard, the hypocrites, below the criterion. If you're letting somebody else's lack of testimony keep you from God, then that person's closer to God than you are if they're in between you and the Lord. Move them out of the way. Get real. Recognize that everybody in the room is broken in some kind of way. We've all got a story and a struggle. The sooner we quit playing religious nonsense, putting on masks, 
How you doing? Oh, just blessed. Praise the Lord. Bless you. Bless you. I don't know. Some of you are going, what's he talking about? I grew up in Pentecostal church. And, and you know what? You could have had a week from hell and you're just going, oh, I'm just blessed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Now, I'm thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my heritage. But I'm going to tell you one thing I learned. I don't, want to, I don't want any of that nonsense, any of that religious pretense. You can't tell your struggles to everybody, but you need to have one or two people that you can open up. And, at least one, my goodness. Somebody that's got flesh and bones on them. We all need to talk to Jesus, but you need somebody else, some, another brother, another sister that you can talk to and just say, I don't feel very blessed. This week I was so angry. I wanted to get drunk and break something and cuss the blue streak. And I called Pastor Jeremy. And I said, I'm over it now. I've cried until my gut hurts. And the Spirit of God showed up and very gently wrapped his arms around me and said, Michael, I've got this. I'm hurting with you. I've gotten reacquainted with the hurt and the brokenness of Jesus. The Bible says he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He knows, he knows what I face. I want to tell you this morning, whatever your circumstances are, you are not in a place of hopelessness. Because the Father loves you so much and He's reaching to you. And I would ask you this question, is your name in the book of life? Is it in the Lamb's book of the living? We're not talking about 445 B.C. and Nehemiah and the city of Jerusalem and priestly genealogies anymore. We're talking about... Is your name there? Do you know Jesus? Is your name written there? The beautiful thing about the book of Revelation says that if your name is there, He will not blot your name out of the book of life. Maybe there's somebody sitting here this morning and you've known the Lord years ago and you've taken a detour in sin. Maybe your life is described by the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. And that's okay if you want to define yourself as that. Just remember that the Father is standing on edge with expectation because He sees you afar off. And He sees you taking a step toward Him. And He's ready. He's picking up the robes of His garment. And he's running to you to fall on your neck and kiss you and put a new ring on your finger and new shoes on your feet and new robe on your back. There's something so indescribable about the love of God. <laughs> I'm so thankful that when I feel at my lowest moment and I feel like I can't live another moment and I can't take another breath and I'm, I'm ready to just go, God, what's it all about? I'm going to get real, real here. It's, I'm so angry, I'm, I'm, I'm ready just to flip God off and I'm going, no, I know I can't do that because you're the only hope I have. And I'm... I forgive you if you're so religious, if that offends you, but everybody, if you've never had a place in your life where you've been so hurt at God, asking questions and to know, don't forsake the only source that you have. He's the only one that can help us. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. There's nothing in your power that you can do, you can't take the pen and write your own name in there, that you can respond to the Holy Spirit right now who's putting the plea. I've preached the gospel this morning. The gospel is that Jesus died for your sins 
so that you might have life. He died so we might live. You don't earn it or deserve it. You can't merit it. You can't work your way into having your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But you very simply put your trust in one who loved you so much that he said on the cross, I'm doing a good work and I won't come down. Even though the soldiers jeered at him and said, if you're really the son of God, then get out off the cross. He said, nope, I'm going to hang up here until it's finished. To all the sin of the whole world has been put on me as the Lamb of God. He took your sin and he took mine. He took your place and he took mine. His death paid the penalty of my sin and his resurrection broke the power of my sin. Very simply, the Bible says in Romans 10, if you just believe this story, if you believe this story in your heart and you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. The Bible says you will be saved. That's not just saved from hell into a home in heaven, but it's saved to a whole new kind of life on this side, a whole new quality of life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I would just ask you right now as we...